Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. Z, man, I got to say, you came up with a great name for today's episode, Convenient Comparisons and Comfortable Conclusions. I get tripped up every time I say that. It's like a tongue twister, but it's an interesting topic. It speaks to some of the themes we've talked about in the past, herd behavior, and maybe more generally than that, our tendency to take a very micro perspective on life. So I'll relate some personal examples. I think a lot of times when we look at our lives and we evaluate our health, our priorities, our general satisfaction, we take cues from everything around us. So we look at the dominant themes and narratives. We look at the prototypical happy families or successful careers. And we say, how do I measure up to that? And I see this a lot. So in some big cities, I'm in New York City, You've got a certain culture, and success means that your kids go to private school. You end up spending your summers either in the Hamptons or you go outside and you take vacations in Europe. Maybe not so much anymore, but this was the narrative in the past. You run with a certain social circle. You're involved in certain charity events, so on and so forth. And a lot of times the husband is a a person who's bringing – a lot of the income in. Uh, So husband works hard, wife either works or she's got some free time. She's involved in more of the charity circuit. And this becomes the definition of success. And then it becomes very easy to say, okay, how do I measure up? So do I have that second home? No, I don't. Well, wow. I guess I'd better work harder, get my second home, get my life back on track. Am I involved in charity events where I'm spending 500 to $1,000 a head? No. Okay, why don't I ramp that up? Why don't I make sure that my kids are skiing and yachting and getting on horses and doing all these cool activities so that I have something to talk about when I go to different parties? And I think this really speaks to our title. So part of our title is Convenient Comparatives, or again, I'm mixing this up, but I guess Comfortable Conclusions is the part of the title that I'm thinking about. And It's very comfortable because we can look around our environment. We don't have to do a lot of thinking. We just say, am I measuring up to X, Y, and Z? And if I'm not, let me get my life back on track. It gives us some structure, some focus, some sense of purpose, and we can go on about our lives. But again, Z, as you mentioned when we were talking earlier, it's a very micro perspective. So no one's stepping back and saying, does this set of standards even make any sense? Is this something worthwhile aspiring to? And even if it is something that's worthwhile, what is the cost in terms of my time, my energy, the amount of rest, the amount of stress that I have? So if I want to support this lifestyle, does it mean that I've got to work that much harder? I can spend less time with my kids. I'm worried that I'm going to lose my job and the whole thing is going to fall apart. I feel bad about myself because I don't measure up to other people. And frankly, I'll never get out of that because no matter how successful I am, this whole game of relative comparison is very dangerous. It's a game that we're set up to lose. We can be incredibly successful and we can still feel inadequate. We can still find other people who are doing better than us. So is that even a game that I want to play? 
And a lot of today's discussion is around how we move from that micro to the macro. So how do we step out from the familiar notions of what success is or what health is or how we should live our lives and question the system itself and question the rules and say, is this even a game that I want to play? And if it's not a game that I want to play, why don't I design a game where I can win, where if I'm doing well, that actually has some benefit to me and it ensures that I can live a life the way that I want to, that I benefit that the things that I care about, whether it's time with family, intellectual stimulation, physical health, I'm actually checking those boxes instead of some arbitrary set of standards that someone else has given me. So I think that's probably the best way to frame it. Can we step away from the trees and take a more holistic view and see what the forest looks like and figure out whether this is terrain where we actually want to live or do we want to somehow change and move to a different set of ideas about our life. I think the challenge, Z, that you and I have talked about is doing so becomes very uncomfortable. Part of the discomfort is that we have to think for ourselves. And if we haven't done that in the past, that creates potentially a lot of anxiety, a lot of insecurity. Are we making the right choices? If we're not simply following someone else, we become accountable for our own lives. That can feel very scary and very overwhelming if we haven't been in that situation before. And more generally, we're in a world where people prize herd mentality. And we talked about it in the last few podcasts. If you step away from the herd and you do something that's different, the herd is going to try and beat you down. That's just the nature of the herd. They don't want anyone who looks different, who forces them to introspect and say, should I actually be doing something else? Uh, or should I stay and do the same thing that I've done my entire life? So you've got the peer pressure, you've got the fear, you've got the anxiety. Help us think this through, Z. How do we start stepping away from the micro, away from our comfortable conclusions, and take maybe a less comfortable but more beneficial perspective? Yeah, Van, you know, every time we talk, I'm inspired. I get fired up. Um, you really feed something in me that uh, allows me to really use our dispassionate observer philosophy to look at myself looking at the world and getting a, 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 the most clear perspective I can get. I think about the three words that we have in here. Microtizing, comfort, and convenience. I go back to the workings of the human brain. How the brain is this amazing computer that runs on energy. And in the divine management of the body and the, this relation we have with nature, we don't want to waste energy. We want to find the most convenient path, the most comfortable uh, conclusion, and we want to keep it small. But in order to really embrace life, we have to be, we have to exercise that mechanism to uncorral ourselves to free, free ourselves because the nature of energy containment is again containment, confinement. And the nature of life is expansive to go out and, and gain more energy, more resources. And so we're in a, 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 a interesting conflict of physics that we have to overcome, that we can overcome. So when, when, when we 
corral ourselves. We're limiting ourselves. But in that confinement and limitation, oftentimes it feels very comfortable and convenient. We have titles that we bestow upon ourselves that are very comfortable. I was talking to a dear friend the other day, and we were talking, and, 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 and as you know, I, I don't ascribe to the concept of race. It's a failed concept that was created by people in conflict with nature. But it is so convenient. It is so convenient to wrap up in that that you don't have to think more. You already have a set of values, ideologies that go along with the convenience of corralling your consciousness so that you don't have to think. You don't have to do the math. You don't have to add anything or subtract anything. You don't have to weigh anything. But it also, again, it's a confinement. It limits your ability to express life, right? And that's where it becomes unhealthy because inevitably, the more containment one embraces, the more stagnation, the more stewing, the more um, festering that one has to do within that small containment. So we want to macrotize our thinking. We want to broaden our scope. We want our concepts and conclusions not to be comfortable and convenient, but to be somewhat disruptive, which doesn't always mean bad. And inconvenience isn't always bad. Because you maybe have to go a little bit further for the qu a quality meal, that's not necessarily inconvenient. Because people say, well, being healthy is inconvenient. Is really being unhealthy inconvenient? When you think about the times we live in, people are dying because they have pre-existing health conditions based on convenience. I ate food that was close to me. I ate food that was cheap, right? I ate um, fast food. That's very convenient. But it's not good for you. So the inconvenience was going to farmer's market and cooking a meal. Going a little further to the uh, a restaurant or eatery, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, cut that out, Caleb. <coughs> a restaurant or eatery that prepares um, foods that are thoughtful. Well, you know what? I, I had to drive a little further, cost a few dollars more, but it weighs less on me. I'm less burdened by it. I'm less susceptible to diseases. I'm less susceptible to foggy mindedness. And in order for me to be diseased and have a clouded mind, I have to be a slave to comfort and convenience. The vast majority of people are physically unhealthy. They are not fit because you know it's very convenient not to be fit. It is inconvenient to get up change your routine and explore the range of health that one can 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 benefit from so a lot of us who have worked in different fields I, I talk to a lot of people as they move through their 50s and 60s and things like that are suffering from the ravages of youth they kept trying to do the same things i'm in a group now with old martial artists and a lot of them are suffering from health maladies because they kept doing the same thing because you know what? It was convenient. It didn't require any refreshing of concepts. It, it, and, and you can think small. So you can microtize. I'm saying 
the benefit of macrotizing your perspective is you have more options to choose from. You have more ways of doing things. You have uh, uh, more crayons in your crayon box, so to say. You have more tools in your toolbox. And like any good craftsman, if you have the right tools in your toolbox, it makes the job at hand simpler. You know, I was working in my garage the other day with someone and they were they were really struggling turning a bolt that was in a confined area. They said, this is really hard. And I said, no, I have a tool for that. And instead of that job being a two-hour job, it ended up being a 10-minute job. So too, when we think about macrotizing um, our, our perspective, let me pick and choose different places. It is very convenient to um, be involved in politics, left and right wing politics. Um, and, and I think about how small minded it is. So right now, the whole idea of wearing masks is associated with politics, right? Here's an example. If you're a right winger, you tend not to wear masks. If you're a left winger, you tend to wear masks. So if you're a right winger, you make a political statement, I'm going to breathe on anybody I want. I have the right to sneeze and hack on anybody I want. I'm not going to turn myself into some damn Asian polite culture because I'm tough and I'm strong and I can cold roll and yell anybody I want, so I'm not going to wear a mask. Then you say, oh, that's horrible. Then you go to the left wing and say, well, what we need to do is force everybody to wear a mask and we're going to get the police involved in forcing and enforcing mask rules. See the problem with that? We see the problem with that. So how about we change that narrative? Can we expand our way of viewing it and thinking about it where we can say, in the general good of humanity, would we agree that being polite is beneficial? Why not frame it as a thing of being polite? None of us know the story of the Kofifi. None of us know. None of us know what's going on. None of us know. Anybody that says they know will lie. If you trust Fauci, you also you know, have to question his relationship with the pharmaceutical companies. If you're a hard rightist who just wants to make a political statement, you can't trust that because that's based on hate and rage. So let's say we just say that until we have a better understanding, we'll just act in a polite manner. So when you have a macro perspective, you can do that without harming yourself and without feeling that it infringes upon your freedoms. Not too many intelligent people would think being courteous and polite is an infringement of personal freedoms. If you take it from a right and left view, it, it represents an infringement upon freedom or an imposition upon others. We can take that off the board if we have a macro perspective. But yet, we have to, in order to have that perspective, we have to allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. We have to allow ourselves to be a bit uncomfortable, which again is not bad, it's unfamiliar. Remember that. We shouldn't the pursuit of comfort will make comfort forever elusive. The more comfort you seek, the less you will find it. Right? And so if we work on those things, we will find again what we're always trying to do is figure out ways of improving 
the overall frequency and condition of human life. How can we minimize and mitigate human suffering? Bottom line, that's our mission with the DPO, right? That's our mission with Opt Out, is to minimize suffering. And by opening your mind, by exploring the unknown, by getting off your ass, you can find ways, innovative ways, you can incorporate new cultural norms and models that allow you and your loved ones to navigate the frontier of, of human interaction in the healthiest and most holistic way. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, I get what you're saying, and I'm going to push on this a little bit because you mentioned something at the beginning around energy and how the reason we revert to the familiar, the things that are comfortable, the things that are known, the brain does it to save energy because thinking is expensive, evaluating different options is expensive, and beyond that, if we do want to make some changes, shift our lifestyle, that takes time, it takes energy. There could be disruptions to relationships, disruptions to income. So the easiest thing to do is just to stay where we are, at least in the short term. Obviously, there are long-term costs, but the immediate result of a move away from comfortable conditions is some expenditure of energy. So if we agree on that, then the question to me is, how do you know how much energy to spend and where do you stop that search? And it's kind of funny because as we're thinking about this, it's reminding me of concepts from uh, from operations research. Uh, there's something called the optimal stopping time problem. And there are a couple of ways to describe this. So the classic way is if you're in a parking lot at a Walmart, for example, you've got to figure out where to park your car. So you start driving and you see a spot, but it's 500 yards away. So you think, nah, I can do better. So you keep on going. Then you see one which is 200 yards away. And you say, yeah, this is pretty good. I like it, but I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to go a little bit further. So you keep on going and you see one which is 100 yards away. And there, some people might say, okay, this is good enough. I'm going to stop because if I keep on going, I might not find something that's better. So I've searched and I've searched enough and this is good enough. I'm going to stop over here. I've also heard people describe this in terms of relationships. So if you're looking for a spouse, it's the same thing. You've got someone you think they're pretty good. Do you pull the trigger and settle down? Or do you roll the dice and say, I'm going to keep on searching. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to put in the time and the effort and hopefully find someone better. So if we take the same concept of energy expenditure and how much do you want to search and how expansive or macro do you want to be, how do we do that, Z? How do we figure out what the right time is to stop and say, things are actually pretty good. So yeah, maybe I'm not going to do the same job that I've done for 30 or 40 years. You take the example of your martial artist. Maybe they say, okay, I've got to evolve. I've got to get online. I've got to change the way that I interact with people and they do that. And now the situation feels good, but they could always do more. Maybe they could bring in more people. Maybe that would free up more time for them to train on their own. Or as you've said, if you had more time uh, you'd use that to read and to research and work on yourself. Uh, so it, what is the limit and how do we think about how to partition the energy that we have and keep on searching versus getting to a point where we say, this is good enough and I'm happy with the situation? Well, Vin, it's, it's, a, it's pretty simple. Um, 
and in in that simplicity there is its own complexity. What I mean by that is that this isn't for everybody. It requires a certain level of discernment and intelligence. Typically, if you go to the mall, which is a bad idea anyway, so let's say you want to now minimize the, the, the momentum of that bad idea. Whenever I go somewhere, I typically park somewhere where it's easy to get the hell out of there. I'm very clear on what I want to get, which requires intelligence or planning or forethought. Because remember, even though the brain loves to be efficient, the holistic nature and sustainability of us requires a holistic strategy to that budgeting of energy. We know that that things that are cheap and readily available have a, another cost to them on the back end, right? You get the relationship that's the easiest and most readily available. I use Caitlin's example, right? She meets some guy who's just floating around and wants to hang out with her. She doesn't do the background research. The next thing you know, you've got restraining orders. You've got all kinds of things going on that what seemed to be easy and convenient is now costing you a lot of time, energy, and resources. So she's learned now that just because the guy is hanging around and he's easy to be with doesn't mean that he's easy to maintain. Though the cost of entry was small, the cost of exit is very high. Same thing with a cheap food, genetically modified, uh, hormone-injected burger. It's cheap, it's easy, ready, available. You, you get it instantly now. I guess they just go to the, the greasy pit and they just the burger's ready. It just flies in the bag. They have the uh, styrofoam uh, potato-like substance. And it's great, but now you're getting your colonoscopy, uh, you, you're overweight, uh, you're depressed, you have Kofifi, and that 39 cents now equals $39,000 in medical bills. So our mind can make long-term strategies of budgeting energy, but again, it takes effort to get up off of the easy chair, the strata lounger of comfort, and plot out the strategy. Just like a good mother would budget the family, look at the family budget over a month or a year or a week, and she knows how to shop. She knows what's best for her family. So by using that good mother technique with ourselves, we can not succumb to comfort and convenience, but to look at a holistic strategy of well-being that includes all of those variables that allow us to be able to sustain a smooth cruise through life so that we have health, abundance uh, in all areas of our life, right? Um, you talk about the person endlessly looking for the easiest parking space. Think about how much energy that takes. You're at a place that is crowded, congested. Uh, you want to go from your home seat to the car seat, to the hover around at the mall. Though it is comfortable and convenient, it is totally an illusion. 
because you have robbed yourself. You have given away so much of your life to live in this manner. So the whole way that I'm, I'm, I'm wanting us to look at it is let's avoid those pitfalls. Let's change our perspective of beauty. The comfort, convenience, the microtizing of perspective is not beautiful. It is empty. And real, the real richness of life is the expansion of your consciousness. It is the effort you put into things. The seeking of value makes a thing valuable. Avoiding those artifices of easy, convenient, simple. Having deep conversations with people enriching relationships. Maintaining this idea that you want to stay comfortable, long-term, lifelong relationships with people that are now so close to you it's indistinguishable from family members. How did you do that? Well, we went deep. There were times we were uncomfortable. We had deep conversations. We shared with one another. We made mutual sacrifices and challenges, which for many people is very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. Talk to people. There are a lot of people that don't have friends. They don't have close friends. They don't have people that they can show their weaknesses as well as their strengths to. So in order to have people around you that only see you in a favorable light, that means they don't see you at all. Because the brightness of that favorable light comes from the dimness and the darkness of your own self. And from there, that light grew out of you and inspired because you had experiences, you had challenges. Think about relationships you have with your beloved. You got to go deep. There's that moment you have where, hey, let's talk about it. Let's talk about some really troubling things in my past. And then that person hears those and you share those. You go, wow, I understand you now. Even though I've never experienced it, I get you now and I love you even more. So that uncomfortable conversation, that inconvenient revelation, that macro view of you allowed you to have a deeper relationship which is much more sustainable. It gives you back as much energy as you put into it. You no longer have to invest energy in distrust. Distrust requires a tremendous amount of energy. Not trusting somebody is it costs way more energy than someone you could trust. It's like living in a bad neighborhood where you have to spend, a, the rent is cheap, but the security is very high. That's not worth it. You might as well live in a more, uh, uh, more rural or expensive place or something like that. You don't need all the security. You don't, you don't have all the worries. You don't have to constantly check your flank, check your six to see if there's a problem. When you're with somebody who knows you, there's nothing you have to guard not exposing. But you will find that under a failed narrative of as long as they don't know, as long as I offer a convenient view of me and keep it superficial, then everything will go steady and smooth. It really doesn't. Because steady and smooth lacks warmth, it lacks ardor, and there's always the lingering stress of exposure, right? 
So we want to embrace the idea as we work on ourselves. It's like learning anything that you've never known before. It's inconvenient, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward. But if your mind is open, you know, I'll just keep trying. I'll keep getting better at it. I'll sit deeper with this. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal myself. And those things bring you into a higher frequency of human interaction, a higher frequency uh, of, of living that allows you a greater potential to express your life. It unburdens, again, your immune system. It unencumbers your brain so that your cognitive abilities stay refreshed. Think about the stress people uh, inflict upon themselves trying to maintain good appearances. As you said earlier, living in the right neighborhood, having the second home, blah, 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 blah. Why? Why does it bring you? What does it bring you? Are you hoping that other people will pat you on the back? Or that you are imagining that they're imagining you? Think, think about how crazy that sounds. I wonder what they're, th I think, I'm, I'm wondering what they're thinking of me, thinking about them thinking of me. That's, that's insanity. We talked about this before. Very few people give a damn about other people. And you need to give a damn about yourself. So whatever you do, hopefully it's because you enjoy it. It brings richness to your life. And if richness to your life includes the approval or disapproval of others, some measure of that, then there is really no peace in your life. You will never have peace. Peace is the most efficient thing you can do. Having peace and inner solitude requires the least amount of energy. You follow me, Vin? Wow, it's a really interesting perspective. And just as we're talking, my perspective on this topic is changing. And I'm realizing how much I've bought into relative comparison. And in a sense, I haven't because I don't think I live my life that way. I've got my own standards. I've moved beyond a lot of what people value or ideas about having money or certain types of lifestyles. But there's another part of me, and maybe it's a more academic part, which is still trained in that way of thinking that more is better. And I keep on coming back to my economics classes. So I talked about operations. I mean, we can turn this into more of a scholarly discussion than we normally have. I think about economics and finance, which I've, I studied both undergraduate and I, I got an MBA. I continued that, that coursework. And then professionally, I've been working in finance. And the whole idea in all of these disciplines is that more is better. And it's at such odds with the way that we're describing this topic. And what I mean by that is when we think about how to live life, I gave you that example of the optimal stopping time problem. I think the assumption behind that is that more is better, that if I'm a little bit closer, it's better. If I'm just a little bit closer than that to the mall, it's better. And there's no sense of absolute. There's no sense of what is enough. What do I actually need to survive and thrive as a human being? So even the way that we're brought up in academia and universities and professionally, there's this constant indoctrination into more being better. And 
not having any sense of what's actually needed, just having a sense that you have to keep on advancing along a certain scorecard. And the irony is the contents of that scorecard are irrelevant. It's almost like we just need something to measure. I don't even care what it is. I just need something to measure so I know that I'm moving ahead. And maybe I'm moving ahead to my own destruction. Maybe I'm killing myself with stress. Maybe I'm going to explode one day because I've never nurtured certain aspects of myself or I've choked down ideas and feelings because I haven't wanted to offend other people. And I'm going to blow up down the line. But as long as I keep on checking those boxes and advancing on that scorecard, I'm fine. And that pervades our society. It pervades our consumer mentality. It pervades the economy that we live in. I mean, the a lot of the fundamental ideas around capitalism, at least the way it's interpreted today, are around continuous growth, around more, more, more. And as we're talking, and I'm thinking about what it really takes to move away from that micro to the macro. So to have a perspective where we understand or we're willing to consider other ways of living that are going to benefit us and do so where we're not endlessly spending our time searching for something better, we need some anchor. And I think it sounds a little bit trite, and we've said it in the past, but we have to know ourselves. We have to know what we care about. We have to almost shred the books that we've studied, shred the examples that we see in society, burn all of that down, come up with our own priorities, our own values, and as you've said, Z, in the quiet of your heart, what speaks to you, what resonates with you, and what's going to lead to harmony? Because anytime you go more, more, more in one direction, it leads to some compromise or sacrifice in another direction. You can't have more of everything. We have finite time, finite energy. And maybe the way that we need to shift our thinking is away from more to, number one, what do we need? Or maybe a different way of thinking about that is what do we care about? And number two, how can I get what I care about in a way that's harmonious and sustainable? So that the system that I create, when I think about my family, my career, my individual aspirations, all of those cohere into something that works together. And maybe that's where the macro perspective comes in. It's less about each of the individual pieces, because if you go flat out on each of the individual pieces, something in that system breaks, it's more being able to step back and say, can I design a well-functioning system that serves my needs? So I need that macro perspective, and I really need to be able to answer for myself, what do I care about? Why is that so hard to do? Well, it's difficult to do, again, because the lack of self-knowledge. Because so much of our self-knowledge is based on the approval or seeking the approval of others. And Taoism offers us keys to that. They say if you seek the, other, the approval of others, you'll always be their slave. It also says something, I'm paraphrasing, that a, a good traveler has no fixed destination, but they know when they've arrived. So life is a journey. As I was saying, I was talking to my friend Planet Janet the other day, and she said, oh, I'm just sitting here on the river or the lake or whatever waiting for my boat. And I just pictured this beautiful uh, scenery and just kicking back, enjoying the moment, waiting without waiting, no anxiety. That is, 
I've arrived, I can get off the bus right here and I'm, I'm home. I found my way. But the journey that led to that was many different things. You had to be fluid in that journey. And in order to be fluid in the journey, you cannot have a rigid view of how things should be. You must not microtize your perspective because then you're caught up in that other thing where it's never enough. You never feel fulfilled. You're in the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit. You're asking and looking for others to reference your own being. You have an, an externalized metric of your success and failure. And you have arbiters of that that are voiceless, faceless, and unaccountable. So you never find peace. So you now are on, instead of being on the, the wonderful journey to a good place, now you're on the hell ride at, at, at the devil's amusement park. And it's just horrible. So you, you push and you push and you push and you accumulate and you carry the weight of that accumulation around. Your journey is burdensome. It's horrible. It's something that you want to anesthesia yourself to get through. You need maybe drugs or stimulants or all sorts of things just to get through the day. But you're doing it. You're doing it. Yeah, we're doing it. We're on the go. We're doing it. We're in the crowd. We're doing it. You're part of the minion. It looks like something out of a horror movie. You're bumping. Everybody's bumping into each other on the A train. You're yelling at the barista at the local uh, coffee resto or whatever the hell it is. And you just it's just a hell. You got everything and you have nothing. You have everything, you have nothing. And you, because your view is microtized, that becomes a convenient algorithm for you. And in that distress, and in that traumatic distress, you have now found comfort. So when you go to a quiet place, when you sit by the river with your feet in the water waiting around, you can't even enjoy it because you have been tuned to know that the expenditure of life force, the waste of life force, is the norm. So in an enlightened person, you stop, you catch yourself and say, I'm done. I'm done. I want to get off the train right here. I'm okay. I want to manage what I have with me. I want to use what I have. I want to be as resourceful as I can. And when you do there, you do another Taoist thing, true success. They say success and failure, again, one and the same. Up the ladder, down the ladder, you're still on shaky ground. Real success when you're at peace with where you're at. So when you find yourself sitting on the dock of the lake with your feet in the water, with no particular rush or schedule, you have truly succeeded in this life. Whatever that may look like to you. But if you find yourself in the endless chaos and stream where you're trying to discern the noise of a beehive over your head. Just this kind of nonsense. And you say, okay, yeah, the, I've been listening to the bees buzzing in my ear so long I don't even hear them. But not only don't I hear them, but I don't even hear myself anymore. I'm just nervous and chaotic. And every now and then I get through fatigue, I get a moment of peace. This is what you do when you trade convenience and comfort for challenge, a bit of discomfort, a bit of work on yourself, and a bit of heroism 
where it pertains to yourself, where you're able to venture out. You can define yourself. Are you afraid to define yourself? Acknowledge that first and then go forward fearlessly and define yourself. In defining yourself, it will take you on a journey of the soul. It'll take you on your own personal walkabout where you say, let me find me. Let me take all my life experiences and what I've learned and I'm going to take notes on that. I'm going to take my journal of life experiences. I'm going to go for a walkabout. I'm going to go out into the frontier with the skills and tools I know and like a happy traveler, I'm not going to carry a lot of bags. I don't know where this journey is going to end, but I'll know when I get there. I'll know when this is my stop because I can just be here. I'll know those in my life that are nurturing and valuable because I can have uncomfortable conversations with them. And I will not feel fragility in opening my heart. I'll actually feel strengthening. I'll feel the relationships become more uh, uh, nurturing. I'll feel deeper in that relationship. And those relationships will have their own rarity to them. So I'll, I'll begin to appreciate the uniqueness of truly deep relationships with people that I have formed because of our mutual experience, our mutual travels, a mutual understanding. And then in there, I will find divinity. I will find divinity in those connections. And I will feel fulfilled. I don't need more. I won't feel a longing or lacking of. That is when you have found that success. But like all success, it comes with work, with hard work. Hard work is in itself difficult, inconvenient, and challenging. And it will ask of you things that nothing else asks of you. But at the end of that, the reward of that is you feel really good about yourself. And you feeling good about yourself will bring grace and goodness to your environment and the people that you share your world with. That will elevate, again, the frequency of your humanity. And that is what is being healthy and well. That is being uh, the most precious thing, is good health. So I've got... I've got a couple of observations, Z, about what you've said. First, I think the way that you describe how a lot of individuals behave, where they're just on this wheel, running on a wheel, going nowhere. We have to keep on going faster and faster. If we have a chance to relax, to just enjoy life, to be still, we don't even know what the hell to do with that. We reject that because it seems so unfamiliar and it almost seems like we are interrupting our progress on this journey to nowhere or perhaps this journey to our own destruction. And I think the saddest part of this is the remedy is always more of the same. So if we always stick to what's familiar and what's familiar isn't working, what happens is we end up feeling depressed, we end up feeling anxious, we end up feeling insignificant, and we say, you know what? I've just got to try harder. I've just got to work harder. I've just got to make more money. I've just got to travel more. I need to schedule more activities. 
I need to do something bigger and better with my life. I need to run faster and faster on this wheel to nowhere. And that, to me, is the saddest thing, that all of us want to be happy, we want to be fulfilled, but we're heading in the wrong direction. And the farther we go from this point of stillness and sustainability, the more desperate we become and the more ardently we pursue the same things that are causing us grief to begin with. And so it just becomes a cycle and it's a doom loop that takes us down. And if you think about people who reach midlife and they get to a point of crisis, they're unhappy with relationships, they're unhappy with jobs. And maybe their friends and family look at that and say, wow, what happened? That person, that person had it all. They were in such good shape. They were always happy. They were always the life of the party. Or you look at the more tragic situations like Anthony Bourdain, people who seem to be on the top of the world and kill themselves because they're chasing something which is artificial. And they've been doing it for such a long time that the entire machinery of the self ends up breaking down. That is what we have to avoid. So that's the loop that we have to get out of and get to the heroism that you started to describe. So that's one observation I had on what you were saying. And I think the other one, which is worth noting, is this idea of fear. So much of what we do, it's, it's governed by a fear of the unknown and a sense that if I'm not doing this, if I'm not doing the comfortable and the familiar, if I somehow stumble off of the beaten path, and I have to forge my own way, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't even think about what that looks like. It just feels terrifying. It feels like this empty, dark pit that I'm stepping into, and I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to do that because I don't want the downside. I also don't want my friends and my neighbors and my family to ridicule me. I want to be able to hold my head up high. So I'm going to stick with the known, even if that known is slowly destroying the very essence of myself. So two things to consider, and maybe they're mirror images of each other. Number one, how can we live in that more heroic way where we are courageous, we have a strong sense of what we want, we're willing to accept the challenge and go after that? And number two, how can we get past the fear that limits us and holds us back? You really got me going on that, Van. Something just rushed through me when I pictured what you were saying. I, um, you look at this pandemic going around, right? So here we are. Let's, let's, those of us who just are simply asking what's going on. I'm not saying you've come to a conclusion or a decision. You're just asking what is really going on? What is the real deal? And the answer to that is we don't know. We won't know for five, ten years, and then somebody's going to release the COVID papers, right? What we do know is the person that is an opt-out, the buy-ins, right? Those who have compromised themselves for the comfort of convenience of simple, uh, uh, micro-ties perspectives uh, for convenient concepts, right? Comfortable conclusions. They can't wait to get back to the mall. They can't wait to get back to Disneyland. They can't wait to stand next to other people sneezing on the beaches and in malls. They can't wait to get back to public restrooms. Why? Why? Because it's so familiar. People keep saying, I just want things to be the way they used to be. Think about what we say when we speak like that. So you're on the rat wheel to hell. 
You're like a bad laboratory experiment. You're a rat running on the wheel to hell. And they're dabbling in front of you it's this idea of normalcy. You're running on that wheel. You're running. Then the kofifi comes. The kofifi comes and the bearings on the wheel break. The wheel falls apart. Suddenly you fall off the wheel and you can rest for a while. You can just be quiet. You can just shut down. You can look and you can look at everything around. You say, wow, I've been on this rat wheel. I've been going and going. There's been traffic jams. There's been road rage. There's been all these things have been going on. And just for a moment, the wheel broke. Now for the opt-out, they're saying, thank God. I have another view of things. I have a different perspective of life because I'm not on the rat wheel to hell anymore. It's like a bad ride at a cheap amusement park or some lab experiments in a, in a B-movie. Now you're off the wheel just for a while and, the, and then the other rats are saying, I can't wait till they fix the wheel. I can't wait. And then the, the mad scientist comes in and says, okay, I think I got the wheel up and running. All of you who want to get back on it can get back on it. Then you, they get back on the wheel and you're going, wow, I, you know, I feel good just resting, sitting on the dock of the bay. I, I might change some things up. Maybe I do a little more online and use the computer the way it was supposed to be used. Maybe I reassess my life and, and I conserve energy. But the vast majority of the other rats are just fighting each other, maiming each other, even shooting each other to get back on the wheel. They don't even want to take precautions anymore. Not that anybody knows, but they just all want to jump on the wheel. And you're standing back there saying, my God, these are people on the rat wheel to hell. So I would ask the opt-outs to make a decision. Do you want to be on the rat wheel to hell? Or do you want to be on your own? Do you want to make your own decisions? Take in a broader perspective of what's going on. And then be very fluid in your decision making. Do you want to navigate the new normal? Because the old normal didn't work. The rat wheel broke. The behavior, the attitude, the uh, disproportionate number of unhealthy people mentally and physically crowding together and encouraging the other rats to keep running. Just keep running. Get another big gulp and just keep running. Get another double-double at the burger shop and just keep, stay on the rat wheel. Line up at the dialysis place and stay on the rat wheel. Right? Get involved in, 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 in mindless political discourse. Left versus right wing. Left versus right wing politics. False identities of self. False identities. Do you want to be back on that rat wheel? Or I say to hell with it. Let it fall apart. I'd rather be on my own than be a part of that failed mad scientist experiment. And reassess your life. Expand your view. Don't, don't microtize your perspective. Let it be expansive. Make your own decisions. And how do you make your own decisions? by developing a completely disruptive and innovative narrative about how we move forward. Do you, we've said this before, Vin, do you need more stuff to be happy? Do you really need more stuff to be happy? 
We know the value of feng shui, of uncluttered living. We know that there's a value in having less stuff. You want less bills or more bills? You want to owe less or owe more? You want to have more weight or less weight? Do you want to have more medical problems or less medical problems? Less is the way. Unencumbered, let's say unencumbered. Do you want to have a lot of low quality things in your life or a few things of great quality? So do you want to have a classical view of life or do you want to see things getting old, new things becoming old? I was up last night, my wife challenged me to a game of foosball, right? So we got an old foosball table from her sister and I fixed it up for the kids. Well, I've never played foosball. I don't play games. I don't know how to play games, right? I'm just, you know, that's a whole other story, another podcast. So I learned how to play foosball and my five-year-old beat the hell out of me in foosball. Then uh, my wife beats me at foosball. And of course, I took it out on the baby. He couldn't beat me at foosball. So I'm the third best in the family. But at the end of that, it was like, wow, that was a really nice night. I got to um, be humiliated by my family, knocked off my pedestal, and I can just be one of the minion in my house. It just, the level of stress went down, way down. It was just such a beautiful opportunity to just play with my family. I didn't need outside things. I didn't need outside stuff. My wife sent me a note and says, hey, I beat your ass in foosball. That felt great. And I thought that, wow, without lifting a finger, I didn't have to buy her a gift, save me a trip to the flower shop. How efficient is that? It was just great. So we can find treasures in what we have. You have somebody that you love, sit down with them and break the ice. Keep it simple. It doesn't get better than that. You're not going to find a better person. You're not all that great. You look at somebody better. You know, a guy came to me, oh, I want another wife, you know, better figure or whatever. Well, get yourself in shape yourself first. Be an example to your husband. Why say, ah, oh, my husband, blah, blah, blah. Well, you can't be with him. You've been with that person for so long, nobody else wants you. Make the best of it. Right? Make the best of it. Come on, people. So for the opt-out, we want to really, really, really stand back use our tools of dispassion observation, watch the circus of the damned going on out there, and don't go. Just don't go into that three-ring circus of madness. Stay out in the open. Do your own thing. Do like my friend Planet Janet. Sit on the lake and, 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 and rub your feet in the cool, cool water. That's as good as life gets. Let's aspire to be that way. And there are many, many benefits to this, to your overall health and well-being, which is our underlying mission, is to improve the general condition of humanity, to mitigate human suffering. So we can talk about a few methods and techniques to achieve this state once you have either willfully or through happenstance and fate fell off the hell wheel, uh, the hell, the rat wheel to hell, okay? So we can talk about that a little more, Vin, but you you got me riled up. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. 
Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.